European Hearts Journal Issue at a Glance, Volume 38, Issue 40, by Editor-in-Chief Professor Thomas Lucia. Sudden Cardiac Death, New Aspects of a Continuing Clinical Challenge Sudden cardiac death remains a condition with an unacceptably high mortality. Indeed, while conscious patients with a previous resuscitation presenting with acute coronary syndromes have a very low hospital mortality, between 2-5%, to while in patients experiencing sudden cardiac death or cardiogenic shock, mortality raises up to 40% and up to 10% experience brain damage. The reasons are multifactorial, but include unattended sudden cardiac death, late or inappropriate cardiopulmonary resuscitation, and late arrival in the catheterization laboratory for those in which an acute coronary syndrome is the underlying cause. Thus, a better understanding of the causes, early signs, and management of these patients is a truly unmet need. In his ESC René Lenec lecture on clinical cardiology on sudden cardiac death, the proarrhythmic interaction of an acute loading with an underlying substrate, George Sutherland from the KU Leuven in Belgium addresses this issue. He reminds us that sudden cardiac death is a complex phenomenon, occurring either in apparently normal individuals or in those with a known underlying cardiac abnormality. In both groups, the lethal arrhythmia is commonly related to the physiologic trigger of either exercise or stress. Prior research has focused on identifying vulnerable myocardial substrates, pharmacological approaches to altering electrical activation or repolarization, or on the suppression of induced lethal arrhythmias with defibrillators. However, in a significant number of cases, the interaction of a transient trigger with a pre-existing electrical or mechanical substrate, like a scar, is the basis for the lethal arrhythmia. An acute change in systolic blood pressure can induce a sequence of events in global and local cardiac mechanics, which result in regional left ventricular postsystolic deformation, which, mediated through stretch-induced changes in local mechanoelectrical coupling, provokes local electrical after-depolarizations. These then can induce runs of premature ventricular beats. These local acute pressure and or stretch-induced runs typically originate in either basal or apical myocardium and, in combination with a coexisting distal proarrhythmic substrate, can interact to induce a lethal arrhythmia. Besides ischemia, cardiomyopathies, and muscle diseases, channelopathies are a rare but important cause of fatal arrhythmias. These include long and short QT syndrome, catecholaminergic polymorphic ventricular tachycardia, and Brugada syndrome. In a special article entitled The Definition of the Brugada Syndrome, authored by none other than Josep Brugada himself, along with Juan Sierra. In their definition article, it is noted that Brugada syndrome is an inherited disease characterized by a coved-type ST-segment elevation in the right precordial leads, 
and increased risk of sudden cardiac death in the absence of structural abnormalities. The cornerstone of the diagnosis and definition of the Brugada syndrome is its characteristic ECG pattern that can be present spontaneously or unmasked by drugs. Brugada syndrome was first described 25 years ago, paradoxically, in an era of great technological development, a new syndrome was described with a technology developed almost a century prior. Great scientific knowledge has been gathered since the description of the syndrome. Better understanding of its pathophysiology and genetic basis has led to several modifications in its definition and its outcome. Despite these facts, the description of the specific ECG pattern has remained almost unchanged since the initial report. In this article, the authors present the definition of the Brugada syndrome, the rationale behind it, and our thoughts about its future. Appropriate mechanical chest compression during cardiopulmonary resuscitation is essential to maintain the circulation until defibrillation is possible. Although the success rates of cardiopulmonary resuscitation has improved, chest compression may be inadequate and exhausting. In response to that issue, autopulse or Lucas compression devices have been developed. However, it is uncertain whether they improve survival and there may be a risk of excess damage. In their article, Safety of Mechanical Chest Compression Devices, Autopulse and Lucas in Cardiac Arrest, a randomized clinical trial for non-inferiority, Rudolf W. Costa and colleagues from the Academic Medical Center in Amsterdam in the Netherlands studied the safety of mechanical chest compression and determined possible excess damage compared to manual chest compression in a randomized non-inferior safety study. They included patients with in-hospital cardiac arrest or with out-of-hospital cardiac arrest, arriving with manual cardiopulmonary resuscitation at the emergency department of which 115 patients were treated with autopulse, 122 with Lucas, and 137 patients received manual chest compression. The primary outcome was serious or life-threatening visceral resuscitation-related damage assessed blind by post-mortem CT scan and or autopsy or by the clinical course. Safety outcome analysis was possible in 90% of the included patients. The primary outcome was observed in 11.6% of autopulse patients, in 7.4% of the Lucas patients, and in 6.4% of those with manual compression. The authors conclude that the Lucas device does not cause more serious or life-threatening visceral damage than manual compression, while the autopulse device appears to be associated with more serious or life-threatening visceral damage. These clinically important results are further discussed in an editorial by Lionel Lamho from the Hôpital Universitaire Necker Enfant Maladie in Paris, France. Prevention would be better than cure. However, to identify those at risk of sudden death remains a challenge. Thus, better risk stratification beyond left ventricular ejection fraction is a big unmet need. Sumit S. Chug and colleagues from the Cedars-Sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles, California, USA, 
addressed this issue in a clinical research paper entitled Electrical Risk Score Beyond the Left Ventricular Ejection Fraction, Prediction of Sudden Cardiac Death in the Oregon Sudden Unexpected Death Study and the Atherosclerosis Risk in Communities Study. They evaluated whether a cumulative ECG risk score would improve identification of individuals at high risk of sudden cardiac death in the community-based Oregon Sudden Unexpected Death Study, encompassing a population of about 1 million. They compared 522 sudden cardiac death cases with 12-lead ECG available with 736 geographical controls to assess the incremental prognostic value of multiple ECG parameters. Heart rate, LVH, QRS transition zone, QRS T-angle, QTC, and T-peak to T-end interval remained significant in the final model, which was externally validated in the ARIC study. 16% of cases and 3% of controls had four or more abnormal ECG markers. After adjusting, the ECG risk score was associated with progressively greater odds of sudden cardiac death. Overall, subjects with four or more ECG abnormalities had an odds ratio of 21.2 for sudden cardiac death. In those with a left ventricular ejection fraction above 35% subgroup, the odds ratio was even 26.1. Overall, the ECG risk score increased the C-statistic from 0.625 to 0.753, with net reclassification improvement of 0.319. In the ARIC cohort validation, Risk of sudden cardiac death associated with four or more ECG abnormalities remains significant after multivariable adjustment. Thus, this novel cumulative ECG risk score is independently associated with sudden cardiac death and was particularly effective for those with left ventricular ejection fraction above 35%, where risk stratification is currently unavailable. The value of this new score is put into clinical perspective in an editorial by Robert J. Meyerberg from the University of Miami School of Medicine in Florida, USA. Implantable cardioverter defibrillators are currently the most effective prevention of sudden cardiac death. However, most, except the most recent models, require the implantation of electrodes in the cardiac cavities. This can create problems when a second or third device needs to be implanted and or when infection or thrombosis occurs. Novel techniques now allow for the effective removal of electrodes, but not without complications. In their article, the European Lead Extraction Controlled, or ELECTRA, study, a European Heart Rhythm Association, EHRA, Registry of Transvenous Lead Extraction Outcomes, the ELECTRA investigators analyzed the safety and efficacy of the current practice of transvenous lead extraction of consecutive transvenous lead extraction procedures in 3,555 patients. The primary endpoints of pre-discharge procedure-related major complication rate was 1.7%, and in-hospital mortality was 
Complete clinical and radiological success rates were 96.7% and 95.7% respectively. Procedure-related major complications and death were not significantly lower in high-volume centres. However, high-volume centres achieved radiological and clinical success more frequently, with significantly lower overall pre-discharge major complications and death. This largest prospective registry confirms the safety and efficacy of the current practice of transvenous lead extraction and demonstrates that this was associated with a higher success rate with lower overall complication and mortality rates in high volume compared to low volume centres. The editors hope that this issue of the European Hearts Journal will find the interest of its readers.